2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we welcome Vivek Sukla to discuss the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Even though there is no major league phase as of yet, we still have some minor leaguers to discuss that have joined the Orioles farm system after last week's draft. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, On The Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. A quick note here that uh, over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, Nick Stevens has a piece up highlighting the players with rising stocks in the farm system. We're going to have a more in-depth discussion on that next week. But if you have not had a chance to read it yet, be sure to head over there to check it out. Um, So, Nick, I'll just give you a quick moment to plug that story because it got a lot of good reactions today on Twitter, um, on our Twitter, and over on BSLs as well. Yeah, that was uh, a lot
2: of people reading that article today. Thank you all. Uh, (laughs) There's just... I don't know, the lockout getting to people, like, uh, I don't know, cold winter months, people are getting angry. So I was just thinking, like, I could, I'm not going to talk about lockout or anything like that, or should the Oros trade, trade Mancini. So I looked at just five guys who I thought were not getting a whole lot of hype, or guys that we haven't really seen yet. Um, some guys who may be injured, some young Dominican Summer League players, uh, and guys that I think could skyrocket up the list, kind of like Zach Peake and Zach Watson, guys, guys like uh, that who shot up our list this year. Who to look out for next year. So definitely go check it out. And I'm excited to talk more about that and some other guys maybe next week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> Jinx. No,
2: I was just going to say, yeah, I uh,
3: I really enjoyed the article. I, it actually it gave me that excitement that I usually feel like right before the season's about to start. And then I'm like, when I was finished reading the article, I'm like, it's the middle of December and we're in the middle of a lockout. So darn it. But yeah, that was that was good stuff.
0: Well, be sure to head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com to check it out. And we'll get into our main topic tonight, which is the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Last week, the Orioles picked up a few players who we're going to discuss tonight with our guest, uh, Vivek Sukla. Vivek uh, may be familiar to a lot of our listeners, especially anyone who watches the live stream. He usually chimes in with good comments or questions. He's also a member of our Patreon community. And in the weeks leading up to the Rule 5 draft, was giving us a lot of information on players who are available in the major league phase and possibly the minor league phase. Major league phase obviously hasn't happened yet, we'll get into that in a little while. But the minor league phase did happen. We had some good information from Vivek ahead of that, so we decided to have him on. So, Vivek, just to give our listeners some background on your interests, uh, not just in the Orioles but in the Rule Five draft,
1: yeah, uh, no, thank you so much. It's uh, it's an honor to be on right now, and uh. Moving from a patron to a guest on this show, so um, I, I guess really uh, my interest kind of stems from. I always like the aspect of like finding some level of a diamond in the rough, and not not this player that has to become a superstar by any means. But I always love the fact of like whether it was in Moneyball, you found some certain trait about a player, and you were able to optimize that in some way. Um, like Dan Duquette obviously was a big favorite of the Rule 5 draft. So along the years, you could find the Ryan Flaherty's, the TJ McFarlands, who's now in his 10th year, which is I, I, I would have never I guessed that. And I still consider also Anthony Santander a success. I think if he stays healthy, he's got mad potential. So, And then Tyler Wells, right, a guy who hadn't pitched in three years and I think fell off on everyone's radar. But the Orioles were right there to kind of harness that. So I think I, I like the excitement of the possibility of like, what if there are some players that I start looking at certain characteristics and then I can monitor them through the years? Like, even if they don't get picked in this rule five, I can just, hey, there was something about them that actually did work or there was something about them that didn't work. And then I'll, I, I, I learned so much from this process about players. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the Orioles found their Hunter Harvey this year with Tyler Wells, the <laughs> closer exactly. for the 2022 Orioles. And uh, yeah, the first Rule Five guy I ever remember was Jose Bautista. Unfortunately, he didn't make it through the year. I thought, oh, this guy's terrible. Yeah, send mm-hmm. him back. And then next thing you know, he's a, he's an All Star and and uh, a big friend of our new newest Oriole, rough, Ned uh, Erdor. Yes,
1: <laughs> Ruff Ned gets a statue uh, apparently now and on. <laughs>
0: So the first player the Orioles took in the minor league phase of last week's rule five draft was Nolan Hoffman, a pitcher out in the Mariners system who split last season between low a Modesto and high a Everett, Uh, put up good numbers at Modesto before struggling a little bit more at his time in Everett. But one thing we saw at both levels was high strikeout and high ground ball rates against low walk rates. Hoffman is a submariner who does not throw that hard. Most reports have him in about 90 to 92 miles an hour. But he still seems to fit a type that the Orioles like, which is doesn't walk a lot of guys, gets a lot of ground balls and has the potential to really fill out uh, the bullpen, likely at double A, um, perhaps at high A, but we'll see where that goes. So I'll uh, let Nick here start with this. Just your thoughts on Hoffman coming over the Orioles.
2: Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch a pitch. Uh, but you also saw a lot of Mariners fans, uh, bloggers, podcasters, and such kind of upset and annoyed also that Hoffman got nabbed by the Orioles. So I think that's the first sign that this is a good pickup. Um, you know, I love the sidearm delivery. Righties just could not hit this guy. I think it was like around 150 or so they hit against him last season. So spectacular stuff. This stuff just moves. I know in baseball America's rule five minor league preview piece, uh, which might become a new standard over here for us. Maybe next year we, we start moving into that, uh, video. but they wrote him up and mentioned like he gets something like 15 or 16 inches of movement on his fastball, but it still just continuously pounds the strike zones. And that was one of the highest movements in all of minor league baseball last year. So a uh, guy that's going to give hitters a, a tough look and you mentioned the ground ball rates. I feel like that's something we're going to talk about a lot about tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I kinda like this. It's good. Like I mentioned last week. You know, you find find something quirky, find something in the data that you like, and and let's see. And there's no roster requirement. So if you need to start him in double A and he takes some time to get to the pros, so be it. But it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch him see what he can do in Bowie, probably next year.
3: Yeah, it's been a while since we had a Chad Bradford Darrener Day type, and seemed like he was pretty much consensus one-one in a minor league rule five, which is probably pretty weird. But uh different kind of profile i think for then a guy that was left unprotected for this phase of the of the minor league rule five i mean just seems like a low probably a low ceiling but also kind of a high floor prospect where i mean if he can just keeps doing what he's doing he's gonna at least get to the triple a level and be a consistent arm that you can throw out there in the bullpen and i think he has a chance to actually make it to the major leagues next year if not the year after so Pretty easy choice. This is why we lost that final game of the season, so we could get Noah Hoffman. Mission accomplished.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I think one of the things I loved was I never thought in a minor league phase you could actually grab a fifth rounder. And from a really recent draft, 2018, like, it's not like he went to um, uh, any specific uh, – I'm trying to remember which school he specifically went to, but to get someone who has 65% ground ball rates uh, – and I, I don't know if it was an injury history, why he was specifically held back, because I feel like this type of an arm would have been at double A um, already, double A AA or triple A. So, yeah, first pick minor league phase. You don't have to put it on your 40 man. And now he's in your system. So, uh, he, yeah, once highly touted and for for many reasons why I kept. Yeah,
2: yeah I think actually it's the injury, I think it was. uh Let me make sure here. I think he had Tommy John surgery in 2019. So that's probably why he wasn't so far up the ladder, but yeah, he, he came back from that pretty well. I think he's, he's fine helping and ready to go now.
3: Yeah. yeah. And that's probably the reason he was available, I guess,
2: because he only got as
3: high as high a this past season. So he didn't have the, uh, the proof in the pudding at double a, but we'll give him a chance in Billy next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One thing that, you know, with Hoffman, looking at his numbers a little bit more um, digging into his fan graphs page right now, he had a home run to fly ball rate at high A that was close to 15%. And we talk a lot about how, you know, once you start to get above 12%, that home run to fly ball rate could be a little bit of an outlier. could be a little bit of a fluke. So perhaps when he got to Everett, just a little bit worse luck with uh, fly fly balls when they were hit, which was still not very often because ground ball rates above 65% there. His XFIP was at 361 so. The numbers might be a little bit better with Hoffman at high A than what the ERA, which was over five, first suggests. Another thing I like about this, too, is that I think coming off of you know, the pandemic where we kind of had to throw age out the window at most levels, you're looking at a guy who's going to be 24 for most of next season, probably in the double A bullpen. Oh, yeah.
3: And I mean, as a ground ball pitcher and a guy who doesn't walk many, even if he ends up being in the upper end of the home run to fly ball, Rate it's usually between eight and twelve. I mean, it's mostly going to be solo shots, I would think, just with his his profile. And they might not come as often because most of the time he's getting ground balls. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. But it's a good point. It's probably ZRA would have been a little bit better with some normalized luck there.
0: Yeah, Vivek, I think you brought up a good point. You know, a fifth rounder out of Texas A&M. So you're looking at a fairly you know fairly good program there. So to get a guy that was just a fifth round pick three years ago it's a good find in the minor league phase.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It it, it kind of also amazes me because uh, Orioles don't have any other affiliates that like play with the Seattle Mariner system by any chance. So I, I like the fact that our, our, our scouts are probably out there somewhere. Just, oh, this is an interesting data piece here. Maybe we can take a look at him. Maybe a scout was sent over. And as we're collecting our, our model, right, this guy, I think even Kyle Bodie later on said on Twitter, just like, Anyone with a decent minor league model would see the value in this pick, and then the next pick we'll talk about. Uh,
0: The (laughs) Orioles have scouts? What?
1: Yeah, uh, right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll pivot over to the next pick now, uh, which was Cole Uvila, who was taken out of the Texas Rangers farm system. Pitched most of last year with AA Frisco, where he put up pretty good numbers before a promotion to AAA Round Rock, where he did struggle a little bit more. Uvila is a bit older at 27, but interesting background, has some good reports on him. Fangraphs actually gives his curveball a 60 grade, which is pretty high. And a shout out to our former colleague at BSL and a former co-host of The Warehouse. Did an excellent podcast with Cole Uvila, Bob Parkins. Um, so check that out if you have not had a chance to listen to it yet. But, Bob, I'll start with you here on Uvila. Um This looks like, even though this is a guy that's a little bit older at 27, someone you could slot into Norfolk's bullpen next year, perhaps. And, you know, given that we know the Orioles are going to need pitching help, he could be a guy to see some Major League time, conceivably.
3: Oh, I would assume so, yeah. He's going to be 28 years old, I think, all of next year. Van Graf's had a pretty good article about him. He's like a spin monster, I think, that he was referred to as, like, I spin everything and can really ramp it up there. I don't think it's that common to find a guy that you're going to at least throw right away in AAA. could even compete for a spot in the bullpen in spring training, possibly, if he just, you know, blows comes in and blows everyone away. But at 28 years old, he's pretty much, he is who he is. This is he's at his peak right now. Maybe he can be a guy that you can use in the bullpen. We saw how many arms the Orioles needed to get through the season last year. So all, all hands on deck. He's one of them.
2: Yeah, he was like literally built by Driveline and Calipodi, I think, because uh, listening to Bob Harkins' podcast now, which I will probably link in the show notes, so check it out for sure. Uh, I listened to the first episode today, actually, and he talked about how he was in the Juco ranks at like fall scrimmages, and he was like shortstop, and the bullpen was just getting wrecked, and the coach was just over it, and he was like, "I need someone that has a heartbeat that can pitch." and uh Uvila basically was joking like i'll i'll throw like i throw sidearm or whatever and uh they're like no like you're you're actually going to pitch and he went to drive line that offseason was throwing 90 miles an hour um before his freshman season so i mean it's interesting and for what it's worth i know evan grant i don't know who he writes for uh where he writes for but he's a beat writer for the rangers and he had a tweet right after the Rule five draft i saw that said the rangers viewed viewed him as a possible major league bullpen piece for next year as like an option. So take that for what it's worth, but definitely like a data darling kind of pitcher here. The guy that kind of guy that the Orioles can work with and see what happens.
3: If that's the case, they really messed up leaving him uh, eligible for the league phase of the draft where Orioles could just pluck him, steal him, put him in the system.
1: It kind of looked like he was on the path to getting protected because he he killed it at double a and I, and maybe they felt that they could leave him unprotected with the inflated ERA. At AAA, I felt like in general, it was hard sometimes to trust AAA data sometimes because I know sometimes these are very hitter-friendly leagues or the difference in the ball that we're also using. But I, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of swing and miss there. And even before that AAA phase, there was 12, 13, 14 Ks per nine innings. So there's, there's yeah, there's, as you said, drill, built by by driveline. line.
3: <laughs> My favorite part of this minor league rule five was uh, just all these respected baseball people talking up to Orioles, like no surprise that this talent evaluation and development team has found these obviously good guys. If you look at the numbers, that's just exciting to see confirmation that Elias has the right guys in place to find diamonds in the rough as we've talked about.
0: Yeah, Bob, that is a good point. I mean, I think in general, there was more talk about the minor league rule, you know, minor league phase of the world five draft this year, because we have nothing else, but there was a lot of, analysis from outside, you know, the Orioles media landscape from outside, you know, bird land complementing what the Orioles did in the minor league phase. And I think Yovila and Hoffman are good examples of why. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: yeah. I think it was, it was Kyle Bodhi too, going back to him, Kyle Bodie uh, show as well. But I think before the Rule 5 draft started, he said like this is going to be a big year for the minor league phase just because we talk about the pandemic, guys getting uh, having that year off, guys like Hoffman who really didn't get a whole lot of time to rebound from injuries. Uh, so teams maybe didn't, you know, they weren't 100% sure what they had. Uh, maybe so they were, or they were hoping with guys like Hoffman, maybe they could leave unprotected knowing that other teams may not know exactly who these guys are because they haven't been able to pitch that much in the last two years. Uh, And so they probably try to sneak some guys through again. uh, And Orioles seem to find some guys. I think they're super interesting and worth talking about. Like that's all we can ask for with, with these two picks. If they bust, they bust. It's the minor league phase of the rule five draft. Like uh, the fact that we have a whole episode about this um, shows how crazy we are, but (laughs) maybe there's something there. We'll see. We need the next Ignacio Feliz for sure.
0: If either one of these guys has a case for as good as Ignacio Feliz is, we're in good shape.
3: Yep. <laughs> He's still in my top 75 prospects somewhere in there.
0: I found my guy in
2: the major league phase that we'll talk about later on that, that blows Ignacio Feliz and Zach Peake. Sorry, Zach, uh, out
3: of the water. But... <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, we'll talk about one other player the Orioles acquired. He was technically acquired outside of the Rule 5 draft, but he was a Rule 5 pick, and that's Tommy Wilson, who was taken by the Mariners from the Mets and then traded to the Orioles after the Rule 5 draft for cast considerations. Wilson's a right-handed pitcher, 25 years old, originally chosen by the Mets in 2018 out of Cal State Fullerton in the 19th round of the draft. He appeared in 10 games at A last year, putting up some solid numbers over a small sample size, 18 strikeouts and 15 to third innings pits was a two, three, five ERA. Um, So this feels like, again, another right-handed reliever that the Orioles feel like they can work with a little bit. So Vivek, I'll let you start this conversation. Uh, Based off of what you know about Wilson, what do you think of this move?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, it seemed like coming from Cal state Fullerton, it, in shorter stints, it's amazing that in 2019, this guy was actually a starter against the Bowie Bay Sox uh, for the, I think it's a Binghamton, uh, I forget their mascot name, uh, for, for Binghamton's team. And 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 I think they made that move because they needed some innings. It's There's actually a relationship with him and Kevin Smith as well, being in the same draft class. And I think on Twitter, they were all like, oh, welcome back to our team and whatnot. But I, I think it was one of those cases of, Maybe moving to the bullpen, uptick in the velocity. Fangraphs was also saying that he topped out at 95, 96 in shorter stints. Um, The Ks per nine inning went up pretty well, whereas uh, I think he only had 96 Ks in about 113 innings last year. And then this year it was only a short sample size, but 18 Ks over 15 innings. So gave up only one home run. I think he was coming back from an injury, but I think – It's an interesting candidate as well. I wasn't able to find too much on the spin, but I I think, once again, getting kind of a bullpen type of arm, seeing what we can do, does the increase in velocity actually mean everything else plays up a bit better? Because he's got a starter background, and now he's really getting into being a reliever. So, yeah, it's more ammo for our bullpen and trying out more arms.
2: Yeah, more AAA depth, if anything. Uh, and I found this from an ch- uh, Eric Longenhagen fangraphs chat back in 2020. And I pulled up, it says, somebody asked him about Tommy Wilson in a chat, and Langenhagen seemed a little surprised. Someone was asking about Tommy Wilson in a fangraphs chat. But uh, he said, I kind of dig Tommy Wilson plus athlete, really gets down the mound well, needs to hide the ball pretty carefully because of how early he pulls it out of his glove. You can see the pitch grip if he doesn't. Uh, he'll flash a plus change. 45, 50-grade slider, fastball has a flat approach angle, which helps him miss bets. But he's 87 to 90, top 92, and it's tough to pitch in the big leagues like that. So obviously the increased velo, maybe the Orioles do see something there. And if you, you like the data behind that pitches, then maybe Justin Ramsey, wink, wink, I don't know, uh, work your magic in that A bullpen.
3: Yeah, and get Kevin Smith going again while you're at it there, Justin. But yeah, very, very interesting. Moving to the bullpen, obviously, was injured, didn't have that many innings to pitch. Maybe that's why, again, he was available. And who, what was the team that took him originally? Was it Seattle, Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. Seattle. Second
1: one stolen from Seattle. I, I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, he seems like a fairly funny guy with this comment on Twitter about thank you, Seattle, for all the time you spent with me or something like that. So, I mean, he seems like a cool guy. The son, the most interesting stuff about him is off the field to me. I mean, he's the son of Biff from. Back to the Future, he's an NFT artist, seems like a renaissance man that (laughs) does some pitching on the side. But, uh, yeah, hopefully the fastball continues to play up, and if he's got four pitches coming out of the bullpen, then it's a different kind of arm than it seems like the traditional fastball slider reliever. So it could be interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, I think you would be happy with an effective double-A, triple-A reliever that has a good fastball and a changeup. But if you've got four pitches to work with, that – really gives him an advantage, I think, when you're looking at bullpen options for the higher levels of the minors. And, you know, again, I think the expectation is the Orioles are going to need a lot of pitching help in 2022. So in my mind, if you are in A or in Double A, even, putting up good numbers in the bullpen, you could be at least the Dustin Knight of 2022.
2: Yeah, I don't see... Um... You know, George Lyles is it, right? That was the only starting pitcher they're signing. So I mean we need those arms from somewhere. No, but yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely gonna go through a whole lot of relievers next year. Uh and yeah, these guys are gonna get their opportunity. It's, it's pretty cool. Like Vivek said to start, you know, his interest in the Rule Five Draft, you finding these not even necessarily diamonds in the rough, but just guys, you know, maybe have something interesting about them. They slip through the cracks. Now they have got a new a franchise here, a new home, and maybe something clicks and something happens. Uh, I think this whole process kind of fits. Our mantra as a podcast, uh, highlighting those under the radar guys. So it's definitely more fun uh, for me to to look into these guys and hope something something is there with them, and maybe they get that shot as a big leader, even if it's just for a couple innings this year.
3: If things break right this time next year, Tommy Wilson could be doing backflips in winter ball.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I was I was kind of thinking like what maybe went through Seattle's minds when they're like you select a player, and like a few hours later, it's like. Oh, the Orioles are sending us—I don't know—more than twenty-four thousand for him. Then I guess we'll send him off because I—it I, seemed like such a quick decision because I, I had turned off Twitter and then woke up the morning like we made a trade. So he's actually just in our system now, which is like great. I mean, you never know, right? In a new system might unlock some new potential.
3: Putting that uh, Chris Davis money to good use, I see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you trying
0: to fire up Orioles Twitter, Bob?
3: <laughs> Always.
0: <laughs> we'll move on now to talk about the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft. When we were on the air last week, we weren't sure yet what was going to happen with the Major League phase. It was sort of a, you know, if it happens. The good news now is that it is going to happen. We just still have to wait for the lockout to end for it to happen. But some news reports since uh, last week so have indicated that the major league phase of the rule five draft will happen within fairly short order after the lockout ends. And the expectation is that the Orioles will have the number one pick in the major league phase of the rule five draft. Now we spent a lot of time uh, really over the month of November, especially previewing the major league phase of the rule five draft. And we will probably do so again because it could be a few months before it takes place. But we thought we would discuss it a little bit tonight because Vivek has put in a lot of work, into figuring out players that could be available to the Orioles, not just with that first pick, but possibly the second pick, if they would take both players. But, Vivek, I'll start with the first pick. Um, There's a pretty decent crop of prospects available this year. Yes. Looking at it right now, who are the guys that you have your eye on for maybe the Orioles to take with their first pick in the Major League phase?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, I think sometimes even myself, I don't have a definitive answer because it flip-flops from time to time. I think there's a great case to be made for it's going to be, if it, it, likely going to be some type of a reliever prospect or maybe starting pitcher prospect that is a little bit more optimized when he's put into a bullpen role. But I my first target really kind of gravitated towards if you're going to go with the reliever prospect, I think it's important that we find someone that has pretty darn good ground ball rates. And, you know, Dylan Tate was our highest pitcher with ground ball rate around 59.7%. I think he had an up and down year, but uh, my, my first search went to finding who had enough innings, double AA, a, triple a phase, and then using fan graphs, like, okay, who has a really pretty substantial uh, ground ball rate. And, uh, I've been on this guy for about three or four months. I even just watched his start against Bowie when he was with Hartford. But I'm I'm a big Jake Bird fan, and I don't see many media outlets talking about him enough. But in the start where he faded, faced against nine of the Orioles, the whole lineup at Bowie when we had Adley Rutschman and uh, Robert Newstrom, he was he got Adley Rutschman just to you know ground out to to first, and Newstrom to strike out. Uh, Grinier Dorian, it was three innings, 38 pitches, 4Ks. And the fastball was 95 to 99, 80-82 curveball, and then 88 to 91 slider. So this guy was a starting pitcher at UCLA. Velocity was 90 to 92. And then over this time in the Colorado's Rockies system, and I know we like talking about the Rockies system, and I, for once, was very surprised he was left unprotected. Some media outlets had him as a top 30 in their own system, but 64, 65% ground ball rate. It maintained into AAA. He actually ended AAA in the last month much better than he had started off as he was getting used to the field. But yeah, heavy ground ball pitcher and premium velocity. So for me, that that screams like, okay, I think he's worth a shot. Be... I have a bad feeling I'm gonna get excited
3: about every single guy you talk I know, about. <laughs> I know,
1: I <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, we this is the guy.
3: Come on, let's go. Yeah, no, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty good. You want ground ball rate and strikeout rate and hopefully as few walks as possible, especially pitching in American League East. It's the only way you're gonna survive. So I like it.
1: So far so good. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I can name off a few others as well because there were some there's some other considerable guys for the ground ball rate. So uh yeah, there was the the premium velocity there. I I really liked – he also had another counterpart at Colorado with the Colorado system. His name is uh, Chad Smith. He also had a very similar ground ball rate at around um, uh, 64% as well. There was a uh, Brian Hudson of the Chicago Cubs. Now, this guy was drafted in 2015, but he's also a guy who made a transition from going from a starting pitcher into bullpen. And there were reports at the alternate site that he was 95, 97 from the left side. And this year also 64% ground ball rate. Maybe Brandon Hyde remembers him from the Chicago system. And similar to when we picked uh, Michael Rucker a few years ago, who's now on the major league team. Um, and then a few others I, I, I found. And I, I think you guys, I, I told you a few times where I loved the Cleveland uh, Indian system or Cleveland guardian system. Uh, I think they just do a phenomenal job with pitching prospects. So when it came to ground ball rates, this guy had a 52.7% ground ball rate, but he bumped up his velocity from when he was drafted. He was 90, 92 to then topping out at 97 from the left-hand side. So his name is Tim Heron. Um, Yeah. uh, Really a prospect that I, I, I kind of thought even though he only pitched at high a, which was in Lynchburg, I think, definitely worthy of a shot. So um, again, it depends on whether they have other types of spin data, which I may not have access to, but uh, these were some of the ground ball pitchers that really uh, enticed me a bit. Um, I think one of the things the Orioles should prioritize, especially at Camden Yards, we've seen too many fly ball pitchers. And if you really want to start getting some value out of, whether it's the two seam fastball or whoever has an interesting profile in their their pitches, yeah, we got to start with getting more ground fall, ground ball pitchers, shoring up the infield defense. Give us a chance, yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Uh, I like Bird too. Bird I uh, looked into and he got named MLB Pipeline named him the sleeper from the Rockies organization in their the Arizona Fall League uh, sleeper, one from each organization. Uh, he's definitely become one of my favorites. Uh, Two other guys, your thoughts on if, if Zach or Bob had looked into these guys as well. But I think you had him on your list. Of, he's injured. So maybe you take a shot. Maybe not with the first overall pick, but since we're talking relievers here, uh, Joey Murray out of the Toronto system hadn't pitched since 2019, but was in double A. I think he missed, he pitched like what, like an inning or less than an inning in Complex League last year. But he was the 17th ranked prospect in Toronto system last year on Fangraphs that had his velo. Uh, a velo bump i i didn't write down what it was uh maybe you guys know but i uh, hit a velo bump at the all site they view him as a reliever misses a lot of bats doesn't walk very many guys and they labeled him this real analytical darling uh so maybe if he may not be fully healthy if the Orioles could sneak him in the bullpen that's a name that stuck out to me when all the talks about the analytics behind his pitches and kind of maybe if he fits that orioles model like the minor league face guys did i
3: like the idea of stealing talent from a uh, Division rival, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, he had a phenomenal breakout in 2019. I I think his profile is just so low because he got injured and people forgot. And maybe in the combination of the pandemic and whatnot. But uh, I'm trying to remember the numbers because he had a very, very high K per nine inning. And he was coming out also, like, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll double check, but I think he also had a starter profile as well. Um, Yeah. And so he had about 150, 160 Ks, which is generally the top 20, top 30 in all of the minor leagues and and, uh, had the unfortunate injury. But I think even his fastball was quoted as like invisible, where it's just like, it's just so hard for hitters to pick up. And yeah, if we, if we love the spin, like we did with the Cole Avila, this could definitely be a great selection. Yeah. He's, he'd probably be up in my top, top 10, top 15. Yeah
3: we're taking six guys this year. I can see. Yeah. It. I mean, I,
1: <laughs> at this point, I almost want to build a team of that, but that's, <laughs> that's just not, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a few others I can actually go into. Yeah. For, for, so outside of ground ball rate, I think uh, I, I found some interesting, like uh, guys who probably had spin characteristics as well. And I, uh, we'll credit also part of the Baseball America article. There's a Christopher Gao for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he had 80 Ks and in 48 innings this year, both at High A and Double A. I think the Double A affiliate is the Montgomery Biscuits, which I, I think Joey Rickard used to play for. Um, I like this guy for two reasons. One, I, I he was profiling also as a closer for this team in the Double A phase, and actually went up against the Mississippi Braves. That ended up winning their double A championship. Um, I really liked his stuff. I've read some articles about mid to upper 90s Velo, but I couldn't find any video that would verify that. But I do know that there were some spin characteristics that were really uh, appealing that Baseball America wrote about. I like the fact that he's also from Jacksonville University. And so when I start thinking Austin Hayes, Michael Bauman, I'm like, if they have someone's ear and they've heard about him, they're probably thinking, Hey, this guy like struck out everyone. And when you come from a Tampa Bay's Rays system and had this type of a K per nine inning, yeah, you get noticed. I'm, I'm sure as we claim every guy that comes off of their roster, this could very well be one of, uh, one of our choices. <laughs>
2: yeah. I got the sense too, that it was with him being unprotected. It was more just, uh, unfortunate scenario in Tampa Bay where there's just too much talent in that Tampa Bay system and there's not enough space. So this could end up being a steal for somebody in this draft.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we talked a lot about Nick Vespey being a left-hander that gets a lot of strikeouts, has the highest strikeout rate. Gal has done that, you know, at the Ray in the Rays' farm system, which as Nick said is one of the elite farm systems in the game. And you have to think that most organizations would have found room for him on their 40-man roster.
3: Yeah, the depth of talent that they have is just unmatched by any team I would think in Major League Baseball right now. So, yeah, it's never a bad idea to steal from them, pluck from them. They know what they're doing over there. What Absolutely.
2: about the guy that I was interested in when looking up some of these guys? What about Garrett Hill out of Detroit? I felt like looking at his stuff that he could be a real option here. And um, high a last year, looking at his numbers, here like a two point six six fit, thirty point six percent strikeout rate. Eight percent walk rate, so good there. Didn't really allow a lot of home runs, and he was in the Arizona Fall League this year. Well, he got promoted to Double A, and the walks kind of skyrocketed. Uh, numbers took a little dip in Double A, but he went to the Arizona Fall League this year. Thirteen point two innings, a one point nine eight ERA, twenty one strikeouts, and three walks in the AFL. So his report had a four pitch mix, not a big velo guy. But uh, I know I saw Emily Walden did uh, had q and A Q&A over at Baseball America when she did the recent tigers prospect update and she noted um hill and thought that he would be certainly be someone that's protected or taken in this year's rule five draft uh and that his deception has good deception which helps fastball play up even though it doesn't have the velo um but i I like that i like a pitcher like hill maybe you know you can use him as a long man at the bullpen if you need to make a spot start because we know the Orioles are going to need a lot of starting pitchers next year hill could maybe be that guy
1: yeah, no, definitely. I, I Hill was also on my list. I think he was like a late addition because of the work that he put in the AFL and 99 Ks and 75 innings. I've never seen someone's ERA and FIP like be different by 0.01. So 2.75 ERA, 2.74 FIP. So it, it it kind of like shows on either ends, like he's got some stuff there. I saw a few videos of the the fastball uh, topping at around 93, 94. Um, and yeah, he, he had such a low home run rate. I am, I'm reading it right now, but, uh, 0. 0.36 home runs per nine innings. So you gave up almost one home run every 27 innings. And and I'll, I'll take that any day. His ground ball rate was around 46%, which is pretty solid. So I, I think, yeah, if, if you need innings, if you need that, uh, I'm trying to remember that one pitcher who would give us innings, uh, he used to wear glasses. Uh, uh, Kevin Gray. Uh, Greg Gregg. Olf- or two thousand sixteen, he was like the swing guy that would come in every time we needed innings, but we kind of DFA'd him. Vance later Worley. On. Vance Worley. Yeah. If you need a Vance Worley type, uh, I think Garrett Hill really really fits in into that. And then, uh, yeah, I, kind of even maybe this can segue into uh, the other part of also where. I also questioned if we were looking for starting pitchers or relief pitchers because it's easier to keep a few in the bullpen. I think the Orioles have rejuvenated their bullpen by, right, you added Bautista who can top at 100. You got Logan Gillespie who can now top at 98 like we saw. Even this Brian Baker guy that we got, he had one of the lowest Babibs uh, in the minors when I was checking through uh, batting average for balls that were in play. And so I was like, man, the, the, the Blue Jays couldn't even protect this guy. So in a way, I think it's already been revamped. And relievers generally are the ones we can stock more. But who knows? We can slowly grow out. And there are definitely a few starting pitcher candidates that are out there that might be able to give us innings. Um,
0: yeah. Well, what intrigues me about Hill is that he fits the bill as the kind of guy you can put in the bullpen to start the year and possibly work into the rotation gradually build him up. You know, we speculated a lot about that with Tyler Wells, and I think there were two reasons why we didn't see the Orioles do that last year. One was that Wells was, you know, coming off the Tommy John surgery, probably the other being that he was actually so effective in that late-inning role, you didn't want to mess with it. But I could see Hill kind of coming in, like Nick said, as maybe a swingman that makes spot starts. But there could be an opportunity there, particularly if he does well over the first couple months of the season, to start building him up. To actually pitch in the rotation full time and not just have it be a spot start thing. So that that would kind of interest me with Hill. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I, like, I like the guys that have I like the guys that have a little bit that can give you a little bit of length because I feel like the Orioles are, are definitely gonna need that. But if you take one of those like hive high- the relievers that can hit 98, 99 miles an hour with those big, like the, the Jake Burry that we mentioned before, you take him in the first round and then you can come back around in the second round and grab a starter that can give you some length uh, thinking like, you know, a Max roller, what we hoped a roller was going to be last year, but didn't end up being, you take one of those guys in the second round. Let's see what you got in spring training. Uh, but yeah, you just, as long as they need innings, we just need innings. That's why I think if they do take two, I feel like it's going to be two pitchers.
0: I want to yeah, switch no, gears from, for a minute and talk about someone else in the Tampa Bay system that I've kind of had my eye on and it would be an unconventional wolf five pick because it's a catcher and that's Blake Hunt uh, who the Rays actually got from the Padres last off season as part of the Blake Snell trade Hunt's profile basically is as a glove first catcher that has some raw power that he has not really been able to tap into yet didn't put up the best numbers offensively between high A and double A last year but again, I think kind of fits the bill as someone who would have been protected by most organizations because only 23, uh, coming off this season where he spent a lot of time at Double A, good reports on the glove, and as we may have heard by now, the Orioles don't have any catchers on their 40-man roster. Um, so it feels like if there is a year for the Orioles to take a catcher that will spend most of this year on the as a backup. This could be it. So I'm curious to get uh, your guys' thoughts on Hunt.
3: Yeah, I love uh, Vivek made a PowerPoint presentation for us. And under the catchers, he has Baltimore Orioles uh, catchers, one, question mark, two, question mark, three, question mark. So, yeah, it's definitely a possibility, especially I feel like he's one of just the better prospects in general that's available. He might be furthest away and not exactly ready for the major leagues. But if you got if you want to just stash a guy and then hopefully develop him In the next year or two before he really gets a a shot to be the backup, then he's a guy you could do. Maybe he could be the third catcher if you can try to keep him in there like Richie Martin at 26 man and really manage his
2: playing time. I think he's, I get the vibe that he could be just a late bloomer. And I, a lot of catchers are, you know, they're 25, 26, 27, before you see these guys mature. Um, he got a lot of praise for being a better quality prospect than some of the other catchers in San Diego's system. And like hunt was like a, one of the primary pieces of that Blake Snell. I think, I think it was, yeah, the Blake Snell trade. So like this is just a nobody prospect. He was just outside of Fangraphs top 100 list last year. I mean, um, do the Orioles like the catcher? I don't know. I know taking catchers in the Rule Five draft isn't a very popular pick, and they just signed you know Jacob Nottingham. You guys did just bypass Jacob Nottingham signing here. Um, that's your backup, the Richmond. maybe even your starter on Opening Day. No, but uh, Hunt's interesting, but uh, I don't know. Do the Orioles risk it with with a catcher there? I don't know. And if they do,
3: we know what Michael Elias likes to do. He likes to draft guys that he uh, was in the Houston Astros organization when he was around and. There's two of them on this list here, Yanir Diaz and Michael Papierski. Who, uh, yeah. One's in AAA, one's in high A. I mean, that's a very yeah. Michaelized thing to do.
1: And, and even a third one that was traded for uh, Scott Manaya. I, I realized, I was like, man, you know, <laughs> I have three of the five catchers on my list from the Houston system. I, For me, if I had to pick my favorite one, I like Yanir Diaz because I think the bat's going to play, but he's just too far away. And I'm like, man, maybe that's why Cleveland made that trade in the first place, because they didn't want him to get selected from their rule five. And, um, but when they, even when they were uh, protecting the prospects, uh, a guy I liked and I thought really suits the frame of a, of a backup. And for all these catchers, I'd probably have to watch a lot of their videos just to see how they're framing the ball. Because that also takes another level of a special eye. Um, I credit uh, Chris Resettar also on Twitter. He's he's really good at analyzing some of these things. Um, Michael Pepierski was the catcher that they actually called up during the World Series for the Astros. So just in case their catcher was going to get hurt, Pepierski was the first one that potentially would have been added to the 40-man. And Lance McCullers, Alex Bregman... All these guys were like raving about him about every time we go down to AAA when we're rehabbing, we love catching with Michael Papirski. He was the LSU catcher, LSU catcher over there. And part of me, I, I just wrote it this morning, but I was, I was like, if there's a dark horse candidate like that, Elias could just say, you know what backup catcher we will sign one veteran catcher to be there. But if there's someone that we want as a backup catcher, this guy fits the mold because he caught with everyone at the triple A system. He was there at triple A all year. And so um, only 25 will turn 26 next season. Um, I like Blake hunt, but part of me, it's hard for me to, to say that he's ready just yet. And maybe that's just the part about, are we looking for prospect statuses or are we looking for, all right, someone who's actually legit has a, has a chance. Like, Jake Bird, I think, is MLB ready now to at least get a chance. Some of these guys might be a little bit further away, and uh, we can obviously talk into a few more of those other names as well. But, um, yeah, the catcher situation is tough. Uh, I, I, I want to say yes because we need some physically on the roster, but Elias probably knows that balance the best. Yeah.
3: Yeah, at least he does – he should know those guys. There's three guys he should know. And Popierski, he's got that great uh, walk rate, which is really cool to see. 246 batting average, but almost 380 uh, on base. So oh, yeah, yeah. He'll definitely uh, – he wouldn't be overmatched completely at the major league level.
2: Yeah. yeah. I like that. When I was looking at the list trying to dig into these guys, I definitely would immediately kind of cross out guys who were – only been up to high A because yeah. I don't know scars of Richie Martin. I don't know. I feel like if you, if you are trying to add some talent, that's going to make the major league roster better. Um, mm-hmm. Then you're going to go after those guys who have triple experience, or at least someone who dominated in double A, maybe a little bit older. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's what definitely I'm looking for as well. I don't think they're going to take that, that super risky pick anymore. I don't think we're past that stage.
1: Yeah. Hopefully. No, exactly. I, I I know we also kind of like uh, we went into the pitcher's realm as well. And then some of these like positional players, I could see a case of us going for the positional players, but I also, you probably saw side-by-side I was writing. All right. This guy will play short base, short, short shortstop, second base, third base. How many spots do we have? And how do you balance that with the Terran Vavra? Ryland Bannon hasn't gotten a chance yet. You now signed Rugnet Odor. And so, um I I the one I the, the two bats at least I wanted to highlight at least on this piece. I think this year is a great year for utility options. Like the Kramer Robertson at St. Louis Cardinals. I know the Orioles have Orioles have probably had an eye on him. There's a Bryce Brigman who's gotten like a lot of raves on the Miami Marlins side when it comes to their prospects cuz they've this guy hit 280 361 at uh triple A. Spent all the year at triple A shortstop third base second base really good defender not a lot of power and he never got his called up and he wasn't even protected actually the most surprising fact was uh, the Marlins didn't protect anyone and I think that was the, 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 the most surprising thing but I guess uh, maybe they're saving up to right have this type of an off season now for their fans and and getting players I really liked because I, I feel like third base I I, I like having power there And the two guys I was thinking of was David VR for San Francisco Giants. Um, I always tried like throwing this out there in Twitter where I would go to the athletic writer for the Giants and just ask, so what do you think about David VR and his potential of being protected? She actually had him on the list of like, he'll likely be protected. So I was a bit surprised Um, set the record for the Richmond squirrels. 20 home runs. He hit at least five bombs against the Orioles. The defense is a little bit suspect um, uh, from third base, but he played the whole year there. So he's got experience. Uh, 881 OPS. Um, So the Orioles have definitely had an eye on him and I was a bit surprised he wasn't protected. So uh, 10th rounder or 11th rounder uh, in 2018, uh, I think it has a lot of potential there, and really the for me the most exciting bet, and probably because of his affiliation with uh, Mike Trout, is uh, Buddy Kennedy. So, uh, a twenty two year old hitting twenty two home runs, seventeen of them, he had a huge power surge. His ISO just went through the roof, for over two hundred at a uh, uh, at double A. His strikeout percentage went up, but uh, for someone with three hundred. 350 at bats to have 50 walks to 98 strikeouts isn't horrible um and so really really good contact hitter he was given a 55 grade on fan graphs i think this year he saw the uptick in power one of the weeks at the afl he was hitter of the year and baseball america even said i was really surprised out of all teams the arizona diamondbacks didn't protect this high schooler who was a third round pick in 2017 I know there's a there's an issue with he's played first he's played second he's played third and the defense isn't stellar but uh, part of me if I had like that last pick the way Anthony Santander was taken from uh, a uh, from high a as like the last pick of that round if he's still available at a certain point I I'm so curious just to see a good bat like that yeah, I'd be
3: excited if they took a guy like VR or, or Kennedy.
1: That would show that, hey, Kelvin Gutierrez, you have some competition for third base. Yeah. What I love about sometimes these Rule 5s is I, I, I want to try everyone out and it's like, what, it's it's a $100,000 investment just to see how they show up at spring training. I know Richie Martin and DJ Jackson had a great spring training by any means, and that doesn't necessarily uh, pan out, but I think uh I think definitely the Orioles do have a certain level of effort when it comes to looking at exit velocities. We've seen that in the draft. So uh, there were a few videos where I saw David VR topping out at about 108 miles per hour. Uh, Buddy Kennedy has, uh, I think there's this hits model, pars hits model that's online that I was reading and I'm trying to remember what their formula is, but they had Buddy Kennedy rated as one of their best hitters. Uh, prospects live did a ranking of 500 hitters in minor league baseball, and they had Buddy Kennedy as the 90, 91 out of 500. All the hitters, so I, I, I think who, definitely has potential for being plucked there. <laughs> who was who was number one on that list? I, I think there's a guy by the name of uh, Adley Adley Rutschman. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty good guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cowser was on that list. Uh, my early Rule Five favorite but he got protected Stephen Kwan was on that list but uh, when I was doing the whole filtering process because I started this months ago I was looking at players that potentially could be available so when those names started rolling in it was like oh Buddy Kennedy oh David VR um, but yeah I think uh, I'm with Nick in that I think we go two arms it's just hard for me to see two a uh, position player right now
2: yeah, i did like vr's videos a lot i did see that one on twitter of him going 108 miles an hour uh pretty good too like he's digging into balls he's fastballs inside he's turning on him sitting of the park down there in richmond he's he was a lot of fun to watch offensively i did want to know like Of course, I said before we came on, I hated you guys for us doing the show right now because I was planning on a relaxing Christmas break. And now I just want to dive into these guys a lot more. And VR was one that I want to know, like, can he play good defense? Because if he can just play an average defense, I wouldn't mind if the Orioles went that route with him, brought him in. Um, Another, I want to throw out one more batter. Uh, There's some others. Like, I wish Sully Matias was just, like, hit the ball because, God, he can – just break uh, from the Royal system. I know he's not going to be picked up by anybody, but one name that I like the hitter that stood out to me was uh, tell me if I'm crazy. Samad Taylor from Toronto organization. He talks about utility guys, second, short, left center, kind of the super utility. A lot of these guys in this list that we talked about today are like high OPS guys, high on base percentage, good walk numbers. Strikeout seemed to be a little bit of an issue there with him. It's about 30% this past season when he got promoted to, I believe it was double A he got promoted to. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like Samad Taylor is a guy that a lot of Blue Jays fans were pretty high on it and liked what they saw from him this year. And I wonder if he's a guy that Orioles would risk bringing in maybe some competition for the Jorge Mateo, Jemai Jones route.
0: Yeah, Taylor would fit that mold as sort of your super utility type. I think that you when you look at the power numbers, certainly more than what Jorge Mateo brings to the table, perhaps more than what Jemai Jones is going to bring you. So, I would put Taylor in there and then Kennedy and VR. What we'll have to separate them from everybody that's in the Orioles uh, on the Orioles 40 man right now. that's an option for third base is that power because Gutierrez, we know is clearly the best defender of the group. Ryland Bannon struggled a little bit at AAA last year and we don't necessarily see him as a big time power hitter. Tyler Nevin has never really produced home run power um, in his career. So Kennedy and VR, if you're going to look for power out of that position, they have a clear advantage over everybody the Orioles have on their 40-man now. So I'll be interested to see. But Taylor's versatility, I feel like if you're going to look at those three as possible options, Taylor's versatility might give him an edge over VR or Kennedy as far as whether the Orioles take him.
3: Yeah, it's not like the Orioles are bustling with talent on the infield, you know. If you're going to get a guy who can play around infield a little bit of outfield, you're right in line with about 10 other people or, that could uh, compete for that job, unless they call, sign Kyle Seager once this lockout ends, which we know they will.
1: Absolutely. I and, and, and I'm happy you brought up Samad Taylor because that's someone who's in that Eastern League. So we know for a fact the Orioles have had eyes on him, the 16 home run pop. I love seeing the 30 steals as well. So um, I, I – yeah if you want someone who right you had a massive power surge he played the outfield and he also played your second base and your third base and then he'll also give you speed um maybe that's kind of like the utility candidate we could potentially want to see at uh at spring training um yeah yeah i i would put him right right behind for me the vr and and buddy kennedy um but I was, yeah, I was impressed with all the, the utility candidates this year. I know Miles uh, Mastroboni from the Tampa Bay Rays gets mentioned. Um, and then uh, I would love for us to select an outfielder as well. But I also logistically know, like, unless DJ Stewart is traded for a uh, prospect, maybe. <laughs> I think I I dropped that in the group once. I was like, I I still believe DJ Stewart will will, will get some value back in there. And there's also Anthony Santander, who I I think has massive potential if we can get the right value for. But um, if those moves have been done pre-lockout, then I would have considered, all right, maybe one outfielder just to try it out because Oscar Gonzalez is a guy who hits the ball hard, lot of home runs same with Ruben Cardenas but they strike out over 25 to 30 percent of the time and so it's kind of like I hope they get their shot one day just to see what it's like but I also know that I think we're also as a team kind of wanting to see a higher on base percentage too now as a team yeah so uh, no interest in Griffin and Conine because we know that's the name <laughs> yeah. Orioles fans oh are gonna God. want yeah. to see, right? <laughs> I know I'm, I will. I'll probably get handed for this, but I, I I think I think Kyle Stauer shows you a better version of Conine in that respect. And then that, that's kind of how sure. I would counter that. Where if if the Marlins themselves also feel like we can pass by and uh, uh, potentially re- rework his swing, and then that's a credit to the Marlins system. But I think a lot of risk with a 0.174 batting average. I do think he's going to be a major leaguer one day. No doubt about it. It's just, do we want to do that right now for, for our team? And maybe they feel like we can make the swing adjustments, but when you have stowers and even we're also fans of Robert Newstrom, which was a surprise for all of us, you know? Um, and I, I think by, by that means someone else may take a chance on him. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the Michael Stefanik uh, comment. I'm happy someone yeah you brought that up, that he was also on my list. Phenomenal hitter. I don't know how he didn't get drafted by a team, but he's been hitting over 300 throughout the minor leagues. Uh, really high contact bet. Hit 17 homers at AAA, but I think that's also part of an inflated AAA environment in the ball. But, man, yeah, he he's a second baseman, third baseman that could also very well fill into that category. like I think I think the hit tool is legit, so if if they if they feel that, why not throw him into the mix? Yeah, uh, whichever the viewer was, that's a great, yeah, great comment.
2: Yeah. I think Baseball of America had him labeled as one of the few hitters that could stick. And I think they had another quote from a scout, if I remember. I think that was him. They had an AL scout who said, like, he's a pretty easy carry if a team picks him up in the Rule 5 draft. So, another option there.
3: Yeah, and as much as I would love to steal him back from the Marlins after what they did to us last year with Zach Pop, uh, I don't think Griffin Cronin's the guy.
1: Yeah.
3: Cronin, excuse me. Yeah.
1: I had yeah. I had one guy on the Marlins, but that kind of went into the prospects list. He just from you know how the Marlins made a bunch of trades of giving arms away to put Pittsburgh? This guy just entered the top uh, 30. His name is George Soriano, and I had been following following him. He was top top four in the number of strikeouts in the Marlins system, right behind the Max Myers, the uh Jake Eaters and Kyle Nichols and uh yeah, the Velo Tick. Age 22, 23, topped out at ninety seven. He's only he was at A ball and high A this year, but hundred and fourteen strikeouts and eighty nine innings. Like this guy, and then a few guys like George uh, or uh, Eduardo Salazar of the Reds, really good prospects. And I wish they were in our system. But then I have to think about: Are the Orioles going to make that kind of a pick this year? Are we going to stash anyone, or do we actually want someone to uh, feel or? be a little bit more, uh, uh ready for MLB. So, um, I, I think by, by, by a lot of means, this risk years rule five is very special because you had a gap year. And I think a lot of performances may have fallen back. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people are probably thinking about Seth Corey 14 months ago, Seth Corey was a top hundred prospect. I, I was looking at Twitter and I was like, man, this guy made it, uh, a ridiculous number of strikeouts per innings. And even this year, a hundred strikeouts in 67 innings. But when you have a six ERA, you also have to think, okay, he's 23 years old. Is that something you really want to work with? Um, I, Cause that those are Blake Hunt and Seth Corey are definitely the ones that everyone on Twitter will will talk about as Blake Hunt was rated 126 on fan graphs. Seth Corey was a top hundred prospect in his own right. and, uh, I don't mind taking like a chance on grabbing a guy like that, but I also have to think rewarding a, a player for their performance to a certain extent and feeling like, okay, they're going to be able to deliver for us. But uh, yeah, it, it'd be pretty cool to steal a top hundred prospect once, once noted um, into our system.
2: Yeah. I had his name down there too, but he, his walk numbers kind of make, 2019 dia hall look like an elite control artist that was the only thing that super scared me but i think someone's definitely going to take him and, and try to work with him and i hope he succeeds he was a lot of fun to follow oh yeah right. i want to throw one more picture out there that yes, i had yeah. that i was very interested in because i love this type of guy and i'm going to butcher his first name i apologize from the seattle Mariners, is it deshaun deshaun areas uh Throws it up to like 97 miles an hour with a wicked slider. And I saw some reports that really like the changeup as well. 37% strikeout rate across two levels. Guys barely hit 200 against him. He is like the true high intensity, just alpha out there on the mound. He's going to strike you out and then let you know about it like twice before you get back to the dugout. I love this type of guy. I would just personally, he's my favorite on this list because I want to see him in an Orioles uniform. I want to see some personality out there on the field. And he's got the stats and the stuff to back it up. So that, that's my name that I'm watching closely. But.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That one, uh, Arias was the first guy. So I think Seattle was the first team that literally posted, this is who we're protecting. So I was like, okay, now I can go back into the list and the drawing board. And I like Arias for many reasons. A lot of his delivery, and I saw a few tweets also sharing the same type of atmosphere or the thought process, but a lot, he comes from like an Edwin Diaz type of mentality and, and, and and position. And I know the ground ball numbers aren't necessarily there. There's a high strikeout per nine inning. He was the one when Matt Brash, if you guys remember, like got called up to the Seattle Mariners, every game that Matt Brash started, Dason Arias was the one who was closing the game. And then they were just a really nice one-two, one-two-three, you know, combo with an, with another pitcher just closing out games at the double A level. So he kept that ERA at both levels around two five, two six, high strikeout per nine innings, sixty nine, I think, in forty four innings. And uh, yeah, after every single like punch out, you could see the strut on the mound like I got this. So uh, if if we want to go three for three by taking it from the Mariners, I, I'm with you.
3: <laughs> and i'd love to get your perspective vivek on the guys that the orioles didn't protect and if you think you know we didn't lose anybody in the minor league phase what do you think the odds are that robert newstrom nick Vespi, et etc get selected in the rule five by another team
1: yeah no that's, that's great that's a great question i think honestly i i, I looking back at the list i think I, I agree with i think it was either nick who had said it if there is any probability of a player to be taken at the highest realm, it's because of the stock that Vespi got at the AFL. And and um, I don't think he necessarily fits into uh, just being like a soft tossing lefty, but he's been very crafty, very nice. Like he's been pinpoint position um, from where he wants to locate the slider and the fastball and a uh, really nice curveball, even that we know about Vespi. So I I think Vespi would be the potentially the guy that people would take my dark horse candidate. I, or at least before I go into that one, um, when I look at Newstrom compared to some of these outfielders, I probably would take these outfielders over Newstrom. Looking at some of the relief prospects that are there, I think they would rank heavier than, than Vespi, but at the same time Vespi with the double a and the triple a experience, even giving that showcase of AFL kind of puts him on a higher level. Um, I think Caden Grinier is a great defender. And I think for that purpose, someone could take him, but at the same time, there's the utility aspect of someone playing a short base, shortstop, I keep saying short base, <laughs> shortstop, second base, third base, which could also um which could entice someone. My dark horse actually, and I I don't know why, but I see a little bit of John Means in him. I really do believe in what Cameron Bishop did this year. Even though he got injured, that twelve strikeout performance, despite I know Hartford wasn't a very good team this year, that you know they also had Jake Bird, but um, the twelve strikeout performance, a lefty maintaining velocity around ninety three and ninety four, and his secondary is getting refined. For me, that's a candidate. I feel like he starts off at Double A, goes to Triple A. He could have that same level of that John Means ascension where we saw David get added to the 40-man. John Means didn't. But he proved himself at double-A, got up to triple-A, had a great year, and then one of Dan Duquette's final moves was let's add John Means because we need some innings, right? And, you know, he got the chance to really showcase himself. I, I was really, really impressed with the Bishop. I, I thought if he kept going, he absolutely would have been protected. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I loved what Bishop was doing in the middle of the season. I think that's a good point. He does fit the Bills a bit of a dark horse. Now, Vivek, we've talked about this on this show before, so I'm going to throw it out to you. What's more likely? A team takes Caden Grenier for the defense, just like you talked about, or a team takes Adam Hall for his speed slash relative youth and stasses him in AA in 2023 after he spends a full year in the majors?
1: That's a beautiful question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's amazing because I think if you look at a pure prospect perspective, anyone who pulls up fan graphs and pulls up MLB pipeline, the answer there would be Adam Hall, right? You take the youth and you look at the potential for power. Um, You could factor in the fact that there was a gap year. I believe he's a native of Toronto. So I also are of Canada. So I don't know if he necessarily had the same access to resources, um, but I still haven't gotten the emphasis yet or the, the, the enhanced power from his end. And I think, you know, part of going into the decision, right. He, I, there's uh, we've gotten Gunnar Henderson now with the power output to we've got You know Jordan Westbrook with the powder and power and I I think that's kind of why he was left off but I think in this case I don't see Hall staying on an MLB team yes he has the steals but his strikeout rate and hitting the ball into the grounders I think well a few podcasts ago it was mentioned that he had one of the highest ground ball rates just balls being hit into the ground and I think Caden Grinier did show a little bit more this year in terms of, uh, yes, he also strikes out as well, but he'll he'll give you solid defense, whether he's playing shortstop and second base. He's defensively major league ready, which I can't necessarily say for Adam Hall. And I don't even know if Adam Hall's bat right now would be ready. I, I, I think if we didn't have the gap year, he would have been at double A by now, and we would have seen a little bit more. But I think the Orioles took a gamble there. Like, you know what? We kept him at high A. How much are our teams really going to take a chance on him? So I think Grinier at this point would be probably selected over Hall. And
3: Sim Contribute had a comment that Hall gets no love here. I feel like we're pretty kind to DL Hall. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, as I far as like Adam D.L. Hall goes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Adam Hall, D.M. Hall D.L. Hall, oh my God. So, uh, yeah, I think Eric Garfield's dog has a better chance of being picked in the Rule Five Draft than Adam Hall, and that's no shot at <laughs> Eric's dog. That's a beautiful dog. He catches yeah. a lot of balls out there in the outfield. So, yeah, that's how I feel.
1: Yeah. For for me, I thought I, I I at least wanted to see a better on base percentage and batting average from Adam Hall because we saw that at Del Marva and. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the gap year. So if I saw an Adam Hall resurgence this year, yeah, that could definitely happen. I just don't know if he's ever going to have enough power to be even a 10 home run per year guy. So, yeah, I hope he it. takes that and uses it as fuel. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I do hope Adam Hall blows up next year in oh, A yeah. or yeah. wherever he starts and just, Catches fire and gets his prospect status back because he definitely lost a little bit of luster this year.
1: Sure,
2: sure. I was talking about Orioles guys. One comment when well, you said that this might be a, a surprise here, but Cameron Bishop being picked, I thought you were going to go with Brendan Hanafy there, and uh, it scared yeah. me a little bit. But no, no, yeah, no. no. That... You're,
1: you're you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up, Nick. Um, interesting. It's an interesting this,
2: thought exercise, at least.
1: Yeah, this guy is. And maybe we'll do the same treatment like we did kind of of Zach Pop, right? We banked on the fact that you're coming from Tommy John surgery. There's no way in hell that you'll, you know, get a prospect like this or pick him up on the team. Hanafi is the best ground ball pitcher I consider in our system. So if that means anything to anyone, um, I think if teams feel like he's still going to be 23 years old, why not take a chance with him? uh pitch him for one inning. Now, I think sometimes there was also a few prospects on there when we were talking about the other minor leaguers where I think the reason we like really, really were able to keep Anthony Santan there is because he wasn't ready for the beginning of the year. And you got to split his time over end of 2017 and the beginning of eighteen before you could option him. I think Hanafi's surgery was May or June time frame. Yeah. So he wouldn't be technically ready until the later half. And someone could very well that's fine. We're gonna split the time here and over there. But uh I love that video I think that on the verge has posted of his sinker and that movement. Cause I, I think that is a characteristic that I wish a lot of the Orioles pitchers had more of, and that's kind of where I gravitated towards like really, really want a lot more ground ball pitchers. And I'd say he's probably one of the best ones in our system.
2: Yeah. Speaking of the injury, I just, if he doesn't come back till May or June, he's like going to be mid next season before he's ready to come back and he's helping. Yeah, he had- but even if you, if another team takes him, let's use the Marlins cause they take everybody that we love if the Marlins take him. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Marlins take Brendan Hanafy. He's remains on the... I guess you could put him on the injured list because of surgery. Can you put him on the injured list and then yeah. have him do some rehab appearances in the minor leagues to get his feet wet? Or exactly. is that a possibility? Yeah. I feel like if you can do that, then that's going to make him even more attractive because teams can stash him. He can get some minor league work. They can bring him back. Oh, he had a setback. He's hurt again. We sent it back to the minor leagues. It could be a way around that, I think.
3: Yeah, I
1: exactly. Know. Now I'm scared.
3: Well, no. I do think, though, if that's the case, then they have to continue to carry him into 2023 to make up for the injured time. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely a way around that so. yeah, though. Yeah. I, I think there,
0: that has been done before where you put a player on a rehab assignment and there is a limit to how long that rehab assignment can last, but you put the player on the rehab assignment, give them major league time and then put him in the majors. So if someone really wanted to take a chance on hand the there's your workaround. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that, that's, that's yeah. another yeah dark horse candidate. I, I, I think even I could make a separate list of players where uh, I even want to kind of give them a name shout out too. there's a there's a Cody Bolton on the Pittsburgh Pirates who was a top 12 top 15 rated prospect at the age of 20 21 he got all the way to double a as a starting pitcher Um, but he, he had I think also Tommy John surgery Riley Thompson of the Chicago Cubs this was one of their best picks in the draft 11th rounder topped at 97, really good spin characteristics, uh, three above pitch uh, pitch offerings, uh, above average pitch offerings. Um, and then there's this guy on the the Red Sox who I think was one of their best, if not the best, pitching prospect, Thaddeus Ward, who unfortunately uh, got Tommy John this year. He would also be similar to the Hanafee case where you'd stash him, you'd rehab him, and then maybe towards the end, you could get something out of where you could play a few times, but um, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm excited at the thought of sometimes grabbing certain of these players. And if you can let them sit and play it around rehab, it might be worth it. Um, I think Santander and Wells have provided great value, even Flaherty and McFarlane. Like I, I, I think we have a pretty good trajectory as Orioles and, <laughs> and who we've gotten in this rule five draft and gotten good value it's where we thrive. It's where we thrive. <laughs> well,
0: Vivik, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter
1: and uh, get more of your insight? Sure. Absolutely. There was a, uh, there's about 60, 70 names that I was coming piling. And uh, I, I guess in a way I, I, I do pay homage to like two guys who kind of inspired me on Twitter. There's a uh, Luke Seiler as well as uh, Chris Resitar. I hope I'm saying their names, right. Uh, these guys have both like been on players that should have been rule five selected and they weren't. So Chris got Jose Miranda, who was literally the best hitter in the minors last year and considered us that we should have gotten. And then the year before there's a Josh van meter that Luke Seiler uh, said that we should have gone for. And I think everyone was like, wait a minute, why, why were you picking him? And you know, he's been part of two major league teams now, he's like a perfect utility type of player. So if you guys want to know more, I'm going to post this list during the, uh, uh, the next few days. And hopefully when the major league phase comes back, I, my Twitter handle is I just shook ya as kind of a play on my last name, Shukla. So I just shook ya. Um, I am just an avid learner and, uh, Uh, baseball is something that's very therapeutic for me so it's kind of like uh, by no means do i claim any of this knowledge it's more or less as a fan i like looking at numbers and trying to find certain characteristics that are fun and i hope uh i hope we're able to get a you know a very interesting few candidates in the major league phase and I, i it's it's cool to know that you know Over time, these will all kind of add up, like our knowledge as Orioles fans and even this farm system has grown because we're looking at so many different things now, international scouting, spin profile. So um, in a very short amount of time, the Orioles have gotten to this level where they're like one of the uh, tops in this industry. So uh, I'm just happy to just be a fan of this team. Yeah, we really appreciate you having coming on tonight and
0: giving us a lot of insight on in the Rule 5 draft. And I think a lot of our listeners not only should listen to this show now, but should listen to it uh, when we know that the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft comes, which will be sometime after the Major League lockout ends. Bob, Nick, and I will be back on the air next week to talk about Nick's piece on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com that talks about under-the-radar prospects going into 2022 whose stocks could increase We'll have other topics as well. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the birds to get more info on our next show, which will be next Monday night. In addition, head over to Baltimore sports to check out coverage of the Orioles, the Ravens college sports, even some high school sports and more join the message board there and participate in discussing not only with uh, readers, but also some of the writers over at BSL as well uh, for Vivek. And Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge.